Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, this is, this is TJ Wilson, a.k.a. Tyson Kidd, and you're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast, established 2019. Direct from the North Wales coast, his verbal skills definitely outweigh his wrestling ability. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer! Episode 42, and we are going back stateside. We're going across the Atlantic to Florida, no less, to talk to Randy Mule, a.k.a. Randy Hogan, as Randy Hogan, he was enhancement talent in the NWA and WCW days. He's got some great stories, taking on the powers of pain, Warlord and Barbarian back in the day. Good story there. Won't go too much into that at the moment. Leave that for you when you listen to it. Backstage, the etiquette, how the guys were backstage in the NWA and WCW days with Ric Flair, Terry Funk, Vader, all the guys. He knew all the big stars. He was there with them when it was all going down in the 90s. Randy talks about getting booked on the convention circuit. The guys, especially enhancement guys, are getting a lot of bookings over in the States. It'd be great to get them over here in the UK. There's definitely a market for that. And I was speaking to him about that, so he'll get to hear about all that. He bumped into Jimmy Hart at a convention, and he said Hulk Hogan was aware of what he was doing with the Randomania and the Randy Hogan gimmick. Just said he's doing a good job. So here we go, episode 42 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast with Randy Mule, a.k.a. Randy Hogan, Randomania, so what you're going to do, enjoy. My pleasure to have on a legend all the way from the US of A, it's Mr. Randy Hogan. How's it going, Randy? Oh, wonderful, Stu. And let me start out by congratulating you and your show, being in the top 100, I understand, number 60. No, we've, got, we've gone up, Randy, um, 38th. 38th now. 38. Congratulations. That's quite a milestone, man. That says a lot about you. And after today, we're going to be up to number eight. I hope so. I hope so, Randy. With you, with you uh, steering the ship today, eighth is, <laughs> where, eighth is where we'll get to. But yeah, man, um, obviously, Bruce Pritchard's is in there. Austin's, Jericho's, all the big boys. 
Um, yes. It's the UK. It's the UK chart, but all the American ones are in it. So yeah. Long story short, we're doing good. We're Wonderful. Doing good. Congratulations. Before I hit the wrestling talk, Randy, I just want to know. It, I've been asking all the guests this, obviously more recently. How has the COVID situation been for you and the family, man? Well, it's very good for us and the family. We don't have anybody that's been affected uh, close to us. Um, as far as, you know, I'm in Florida, and as far as the state goes, we're opening up quite a bit. The beaches are open. The restaurants are all open now at uh, at least 50% capacity. Um, down in the south here, it seems like in Georgia, I think, or Alabama, they're about to open it up for small wrestling events. Um, so there's a lot going on positive down here. Now, up in New York and California, not necessarily the same story. And, of course, that's where a lot of our conventions are, you know, coming up. So, so we're all concerned about that a little bit. But uh, all in all, it, 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 uh, we've been very blessed with this thing. We're, we're, still, uh, we're still limited here in Wales um, because they, they've split the country up. We're all going on different time frames and stuff. England, England are a little bit further along with it. They're allowed to do a little bit more. But um, the minister and the health guy over here in Wales, uh-huh. we're limited, man. You can, you can meet uh-huh. one, one household at the moment. You can go to someone's garden as long as you're distancing. It's, it's a nightmare, man. It's a nightmare over here at the moment. Yeah. Well, they've just opened up the gyms here too last week. So the, the gyms are opened up and that's a good sign. Yeah. Uh, and we have, you know, we have the, uh, our presidential election coming up in 2020 and they have moved the, uh, the convention to, uh, to Florida, right, which okay. is about 20,000 people. Wow. So, wow. so they're yeah. going to allow that. And again, so all this is around November uh, again, which is all, of course, our conventions start kicking up around August, September if, if they go off. So, all in all, I think we're on, we're on a uh, a pretty good uh, pretty good plane here. Do you think you'll get reelected, Trump? Yes, I do. I really do. I, I'm a you know politician. like any politician, some love them, some hate them. Um, um, what a lot of people like about him is the same reason they criticize him, and that's because he speaks his mind in a blue-collar language. He doesn't talk like a politician. He just says it like you and I would say it on the street corner. And a lot of us appreciate that, you know, instead of all the beating around the bush all the time. That's it, man. That's it. Right, I'm going to get into when you first started watching wrestling when you were younger. Ah, I was probably, I was real young, maybe six, seven years old. My grandparents, big fans. My dad always eh, kind of think whatever would not, you know. I think he went to one wrestling match when he was young, and he was you know, that was his claim to fame was he walked out of the arena with Buddy Rogers way back when. But he didn't think much about it. Uh, my mom was always a very, very big supporter of it. and uh, But my grandparents were the ones that on the edge of their chair every Saturday morning, they're going to watch that wrestling, and they're going to see it. And they believed every last thing and move and everything else. So once a month um, in Detroit, they would have uh, they would have matches. So my grandparents started taking me. So I was kind of raised from that young of an age with guys like Dick the Bruiser and uh, the original Sheik and Bobo Brazil and a lot of those uh, those uh, old time named Killer Kowalskis and and on and on and on. We didn't have the at the time WWF 
in my area. We didn't have TV coverage or anything. So I wasn't raised other than what I read in magazines through the Bruno San Martinos and the uh, Pedro Morales and uh, those guys. So I was pretty much in the, uh, in the other section, which I think morphed into the pretty much the AWA and the NWA especially. So I started going to matches, and that was uh, I was hooked ever since. That's brilliant, man. That's nice, nice backstory there. Um, obviously, you've listed a few guys there that you like watching, um, but maybe if you could extend on it, who, which talents, wrestlers, did you gravitate to? As a youngster, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like, as a youngster, yeah. As a youngster, I always liked Dick the Bruiser. He was probably my favorite. Um, he was big, barrel chested, strong, gruff guy, you know, stayed in gimmick 24 seven, him and his big cigars, uh, him and probably the original Sheik, who was also a Michigan guy, which a lot of people didn't know had Farhat. And, uh, and we, we really, back in those days, we believed, we believed in the gimmick. This was real. And some real start happened. There was a, a member of the uh, Detroit Lions uh, football team, Alex Karras, owned a bar. And uh, Dick the Bruiser went with a shoe, went in the, the bar, and they got into it somehow, and a brawl started between him, the Bruiser, and Alex Karras. Police were called. One policeman broke his wrist and everything else. So now this setup, so now Karras all of a sudden is becoming a professional wrestler. So at the Olympia Auditorium, and I was there, um, Dick the Bruiser and this Alex Karras. So the drama carried into real life, you know, back in those days. Uh, again, old school, new school stuff. You know, I'm sure you hear it all the time from the guys. Yeah. Different. yeah. And, and I was fortunate enough to live through three different eras. You know, I lived through, the, through that era, which was very believable. Then you got into the uh, to the newer WWF. Vince took it over and kind of changed the business. Brought in uh, the characters, uh, uh, cartoons, television, Cindy Lauper, all things like that, you know. And then the today's product, which is uh, uh, something else I'm sure we'll discuss later. Absolutely, <laughs> I'll be on. I'll be on to you about the current product after. Absolutely, I, I really yeah, I want to know your views on that now. In that, in the era, obviously going back when you were watching it when you were younger, were there any talents, guys, who you felt could have been bigger stars than they were? Is there anybody who could have been gone further, further at the ladder, maybe, who didn't get the chance? Gosh, it's so hard. Uh, I'm going back 60 years now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know 60 man. years. Yeah. Uh, it seems like, like Bobo Brazil was always fighting for the title, but never quite got it. That was up in the Detroit area. Bobo Brazil in the original Sheik was the feud. Kind of like in Florida, I think it was Dusty Rhodes and uh, Ric Flair, or Dusty Rhodes and Kevin Sullivan. Up there, it was Bobo Brazil and the Sheik. And Bobo never quite got or held out of the title. And as popular as he was and, and as good as he was for a big man, he was about six, seven, six, eight. I think him and like Big Cat Ernie Ladd, they were both very similar at the same time. Um, I think he should have got a, a better push than he did. Uh, Bulldog Brower was another one that was big all over the country, but in Detroit, he never quite made the main events. So I would say uh, Brower and 
and uh, Bobo back in those days were big ones. You know, but there were so many names. Uh, you know, Billy Robinson was over here for a while at that time. Um, Carl Gotch, names like that. Those are the those are the guys that I grew up watching. So you can imagine the difference in the product then as opposed to the product now. So, but those are the those are those are the biggies that I think it should have more. But uh, after a while, the the chic actually bought the promotion up there, Time Wrestling. And, of course, he always put himself over, and, and he should. There's always a big bloodbath, always. You could count on that. So, But that's what we like to see. And us old guys, you, you can't help. You know, you get – life is a big circle, you know. I mean, you start off and uh, your mom's changing your diapers, and then they get old, you end up changing hers, you know. It's a shame, but our, our memories go back when we watch the current product a lot. And we say, wow, this is what they're doing today, which a lot of it is remarkable. But what's missing that hooked me on it as a seven-year-old back 60 years ago, you know? Um, so, so those are the things that, that, that we constantly think about and reflect on. Did any events on TV stand out for you when you were watching it in the early days? Well, in the early days, they didn't have it. They had no internet. Um, they had the dirt sheets that you had to subscribe to once in a while that, uh, that I always had sent to me. Um, they, but they didn't have pay-per-views or, or things like that. It was always a big deal, though, back then when the world champion would come to town. Okay? Um, I remember Luthez coming to town wrestling and Pat Patterson or, um, um, and Harley Race in his early years um, guys like that, when they come to town, it was very, very important at the time, you know. Now, you know, every month you've got another pay-per-view of some kind with somebody, and the names all kind of get homogenized together, and, and nobody really stands out anymore. So, but again, old man's opinion. <laughs> that's, hey, we want, that's what I want. I want your opinion. That's what we're about on here. Um, just to fast forward a little bit now, when did you start training wrestling? That's my next one. I started in uh, 83-ish, mm -hmm. somewhere around there, 84. Uh, again, funny, short story. I, uh, I was in the restaurant business. I was managing a restaurant. Um, before that... I played in a band, traveled the country here. So we used to work pretty regularly a Holiday Inn circuit over here in the South and in Columbus, Georgia. And uh, Wednesday nights, they would have TV tapings in Columbus, NWA stuff, and all the guys would stay at the Holiday Inn. So here I am, and I'm up in there. I'm in, in playing, and I played drums, and I was playing in the band. And... Uh, in walks Eddie Mansfield, Wahoo McDaniels, um, 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 Austin Idol at the time. So me I'm being a big fan, of, a big mark. I mean, I'm just all, I'm just wetting myself. I'm so excited to see these guys walking in the room. So I went over to Eddie Mansfield and introduced myself and say how much I enjoy his work because he was doing a thing in the South at the time. And him and I got to be pretty good friends. So he lived in Columbus, so he would come over to the Holiday Inn, and we'd lay by the pool because he'd always be blonde and uh, bronzed and beautiful. 
So we would lay by the pool together and they'd just talk very little about wrestling, just in general. And, uh, and so we started going to a gym, which was owned by Jerry Oates. Ted and Jerry Oates were a pretty famous international tag team at the time. Uh, big in Japan, big in the, very big in the South here. They were like Jerry Lawler is to Memphis. I mean, they were the, they were, they were the Georgia mainstays. So I, I'd go to the gym and just went on and we traveled with everything. So I was, um, I got to the point where I was, I was about 27 years old, I think. And I said, where am I going to be when I grow up? I mean, here I'm living in hotels. I'm playing in the band. We played regular, but we weren't good enough that we were ever going to make a living out of it. So, uh, so I managed in this restaurant and they closed the restaurant. So I said, well, what am I going to do now? So I said, you know, again, being a big wrestling fan, I said, I wonder, I really wonder. Now here I was older. I wonder how much is real and how much is fake. I didn't know. Those are the words that used at the time. So what I did is I got on the phone and I called Jerry Oates at his gym. And I said, you know, Jerry, I'd really like to get into this. Uh, do you know anybody down here that trains? And he said, the only guy I know down there that trains is Hiro Matsuda, who trained Hulk Hogan as well as, you know, a bunch of other guys out of Florida. He said, but he's very selective and expensive and picky. He said, but, you know, I train guys up here, which he did. And Marty Gennetti had just started training up there. So I talked to him and got a price and everything and loaded everything into my car in Boca Raton, Florida, and drove to Columbus, Georgia, got an apartment. Got a job managing a restaurant, which paid my way through wrestling school. So I started uh, school with Jerry, um, got hurt, uh, my ankle, took about, oh, I don't know, three or four months off. And in the meantime, um, Ted Oates had opened up a gym, a regular gym like Jerry had, but he had a ring in it also. So now I went back to, to Ted and say, okay, I want to start training again, whatever. Um, and that's how it all started. So I, I, I trained, um, hurt my ankle, which I'm still playing with today. In fact, it has to be replaced, but that's another story when you get old. Yeah, I never knew they had replaced ankles, but that's what they're going to do to me. Um, so I went to a match in Columbus, Georgia. I, got, I, I trained for 13 months and had one match, which was just the students put on for the uh, police benefit or something. And I was thrilled. I just wanted to get in the ring and see. And I still didn't know anything. I still wasn't smartened up at all. You know, part of our training, they were excellent trainers because they taught you some ring psychology. They taught you mat wrestling. When I started out with Jerry, we didn't have a ring. We had just gym mats. So you learn how to take a bump on cement floors on just a, a, a small gym mat. So you learn to protect yourself and how to take good bumps really early. So anyways... That was all. I had my first match. I was thrilled. That's all I wanted. I knew pretty much what I needed to know. So I went to a match in Columbus again, Columbus, Georgia, and they're doing TV taping. And, uh, and I was watching, and a friend of mine that I trained with was putting up the ring. So I said, Bill Smith was there. I said, Bill, what are you doing? He said, well, he said, they rent the ring from me when they come to town here. And I said, uh, you know, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm wrestling, you know, a little, town, a little bar here and there. Why don't you come with me sometime? Bring your stuff. I said, well, I don't want to bring my stuff, but I'd love to come watch you. So I went with him. 
once, and I went back to the second week, and this is the little bar. I mean, we're talking maybe 30 or 40 drunk guys sitting at the bar harassing, but they had this wrestling match in it. Uh, one of the old days where you get a, a handshake, a Coke, and a hot dog, and that was your payoff. So anyways, I went, and I took my bag in that. One day, somebody didn't show up, so Bill says, hey, you know, do you want to work? So the promoter said, uh, uh, okay, do you want to work? I said, well, okay. I don't know what work means. I guess, does that mean I want to wrestle? And I said, okay. He said, well, we're going to put you in against a guy named Animal. He said, and, of course, Animal's going over. So I get back in the back and with Bill. I said, Bill, what's going over mean? Does that mean I'm going over the top rope? I didn't know anything. So uh, we uh, uh, I wrestled as Randy Franklin because my dad's name was Frank. You know what I, mean? I always had the mustache. The hair, it wasn't blonde, you know, it was dark brown on that. So I wrestled this uh, animal guy, and uh, and we, we had ended up, uh, you know, I lost, but it was a, a, a screw finish. So the promoter says, can you come back next week? And I said, well, sure I can. So he said, but you know what? He says, we're going to call you Hal Hogan. I says, what? He says, no, he says, you know, you look a little bit like this Hogan guy, who was just coming up too at the time. You look like Hogan, so we're going to call you Hal Hogan. I says, look, I says, I don't know who you're talking about. We said, Hal. I said, how about Randy? He says, okay, from now on, you're Randy Hogan. So that's how Randy Hogan actually got started. I went home. I had my girlfriend bleach my hair, my eyebrows, my mustache, blonde, you know, and, and I came back, and, and now I was doing a Broadway. And then I started going over, and this is the only place I wrestled. Um, and then, you know, you go to watch, you meet guys on the card. And you go watch them when they're wrestling around town just to support them. And, and when you go, it's common courtesy that they usually will introduce you to the promoter. And uh, so I did that, and that's how I got more work in different little independent things around uh, Georgia and Alabama. Then I got in a, in a match once that uh, was semi-main event at this time uh, with a Mike Jackson, who was – self-proclaimed Alabama junior heavyweight champion for the last 50 years. In fact, he was on Impact Wrestling about a month ago, 70 years old, still doing it. So I said, Mike, I says, how do you get on TV? And he says, and he was doing some, some booking of the enhancement, the jobbers at the time, enhancement, whatever you want to call us. So he said, I can't guarantee to get John. He said, but if you want to ride up with us, fine. So um, I rode up with him. Same story a couple of times up to Atlanta where they did the TBT, uh, the NWA, Crockett's NWA at the time with Flair and Steamboat and all them and uh, went up to the TV tapings. And again, somebody was short and J.J. Uh, Dillon was doing the uh, booking at the time and went to, to Jackson and said, uh, you know, does Hogan want to work? <laughs> of course. So, um, so I said, okay. So same thing. I was like a kid in a candy shop. First time in the locker room, you know, and I'm looking at all these idols of mine. So I had my first TV match, a tag match against the Powers of Pain, the Warlord and the Barbarian. Biggest guys I've ever seen in my life. Very first match. So, uh, and again, back in those days, they would pretty much tell you what to do as far as what they're trying to do with the guy that's going over. Make him look strong make them look talented, make them look whatever, okay? At this point, it was, these guys got to look like beasts. Don't do anything, you know? Maybe throw a punch, but don't come back. Let them annihilate you. Okay, I can do that for three or four minutes, whatever. 
So I'm in the ring with the Barbarian at the time. Wonderful guy. And I guess he is one of the Samoans, one of the Samoan clan. And uh, so he shoots me in the rope and goes, boo-boo. Now, what? I'm full of enthusiasm, adrenaline, don't know what's coming on. So I hit the ropes, and I'm coming off full speed. Next thing I know, I got a foot right in the face. My nose breaks, blood goes splattering everywhere. What he was doing was he says, big boot, like watch for the big boot. I just heard boo-boo. So I didn't know what to look for, you know, to turn my head, get my hand up, whatever else. So I got a, a size 15 straight in the nose. So, uh, and they felt sorry for me. So then JJ says, hey, you know, good job. Can you come back? So I came back, and that's how I got going with NWA. Mm -hmm. Then when uh, um, Ted Turner, WCW, bought it, made some changes, they let a lot of the enhancement Java guys go. Now, WCW wanted guys that could actually work, that actually knew how to wrestle, were trained in that. Because some of the guys were just meat. they just throw them in there, kill them, and that was it. And that's happened to us sometimes, but it was a planned thing. If we were in there with a, uh, like a Bob or a Brad Armstrong or somebody like that, you wrestled. You, know, you had to show your technical skills. So they wanted people that could do that. So a lot of the guys were let go, but I was lucky enough that they kept me and guys like George South. Um, uh, and we were kind of like the, the Barry Horowitz of the WWF. You know, we wrestled all the names, all the big guys. Uh, people would uh, uh, make fun of us all the time because we're getting our brains beat out all the time on TV. But, you know, when you get beat up by the Road Warriors and that duel of the Butcher, that's no embarrassment. You know, the fact that you survived worked. So, uh, so I was fortunate, and we did that. And then they said, uh, well, gee, um, I was just doing TV. And they said, can you do house shows? And I said, well, sure. And after that, I said, well, can you travel? And I said, well, sure. So that's how the whole thing developed. Um, that was going to be my question about how, how obviously, I remember you in WCW, but obviously you've, an, you've answered that. Yeah, it was cool. What was it like, you know, you were saying about, obviously, being in the locker room and there was guys there that you idolised. How, how was it? How was it going into the locker room? Were you nervous? Oh, absolutely. Uh, imagine you're, even though I wasn't a little kid, imagine you're a little kid and you walk in, there's your heroes right in front of you. You're just in awe with your jaw dropping, you know. Now, you got to act cool because you don't want to act like you're that excited. But I was thrilled. You had Dusty Rhodes in there. You had uh, local stars like Black Bart. You had uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, um, Oliver Humperdinck, uh, uh, the Russian assassins with Barry Darso, Crusher Khrushchev, who turned into Demolition now, you know, one of his uh, repo man, one of his many things. So I'm seeing all these guys, Larry Zabisco, and then in walks Flair and Ricky Steamboat walking by. You know, and I could, I could like, touch them. They were so close. I just wanted to get up and get pictures and get autographs, and, but I just stayed very cool, you know. Um, a lot of the guys... Uh, the over guys, the name guys, are very, very, they don't care or they don't respect you. Um, and some of them could not be nicer, more accepting, and, uh, and thankful for what you are doing for them. Um, an obvious question, who is your favorite and who is your least favorites? <laughs> okay. The first one that, that stands to mind um, was... Terry Funk. Now here Terry Funk again walks in the room 
He went to every one of us little guys, looked us right in the eye, shook our hand and say, my name's Terry Funk. What's your name? You know, he said, I'm so glad to meet you. Unheard of. What a nice person. Yeah. Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson. Very nice. Very friendly guy. Jimmy Cornette is a riot. Say what you, you know, love him or hate him. I love Jimmy Cornette. He was managing the Midnight Express. You know, yeah. I've been hit by the tennis racket. I've been kicked. I've been everything, you know. He has been nothing but sweet to me. Um, Paul Heyman, Paulie Dangerously at the time, um, was up there also. And, again, he was very nice, very respectful. Um, a lot of the guys were. A lot of the guys that were cold after a while warmed up to you. What I didn't realize until years into it was um, a lot of the guys had a say-so over who they worked on TV. You know, I want to work this guy. I don't want to work this guy for whatever the reasons. So I got to the point where um, I was kind of a favorite of a couple guys, like the Midnight Express. I would end up working them all the time. Um, Sting and Lex Luger were another one that I did well. Um, Michael Hayes, the Freebirds. Uh, a lot of these guys, Kevin Sullivan, he was a dream. He, used, he Again, he was on the, uh, the booking committee. So you get to the point where you're getting your brains beat out, you know, and then after a while you get some respect in the locker room because you don't whine, you don't cry, no matter how much you complain or something might happen you get angry about, you never say it. You never show it. Uh, you got to keep that pin me, pay me attitude all the time. And uh, you always go up and, you, you know, you thank the guy you know, for the match and everything else, respectful. That's what keeps you working steady. That's what kept me. I wasn't the best jobber or enhancement guy, you know. I had this little uh, gimmick thing which was given to me going on. And at the time, it helped me because Hulk Hogan now was a big thing. And they were going through the wars, you know, WCW and WWF. So I think now they're going to job me out all the time on TV to show their superiority over the Hogans, see? So I was one of the few. I didn't change my name. I was Randy Hogan all through my career. And uh, uh, Jimmy Cornette was doing commentary on one of my matches, and I was getting my brain speed out as usual. And uh, he said, boy, I wish he wishes – I bet he wishes his big brother was here now, alluding that Hulk's my big brother, you know? And uh, – so people picked up on that, and that stuck. So then the little independent shows that I'm going over and wrestling, you know, I've been his brother, I've been his cousin, I've been his uncle, I've been everything. But uh, uh, that's the showbiz part. You are what they want you to be. Yeah. The promoter is your boss like any other job. If he likes you, he's going to promote you. If he doesn't like you, he's going to find a way to get rid of you. Wrestling is no different than any other job like that. Turnbuckle TV is the home of UK wrestling on demand, featuring over 40 UK wrestling promotions and other wrestling-related channels. Subscribe today from just $1.99 and start your free one-month trial now. GTG, often imitated but never duplicated. We can't abroad at the shoulder, narrow at the hip. No other promotion. Give us any lip. We the best of the best. The beast of the east. SOS. Simply out of sight. GTG. When he said, good times guaranteed. One of my two roughest matches, which obviously were my least famous or my least favorite 
matches. The first one was Abdullah the Butcher. I was wrestling him. Gary Hart was his manager. He had some kind of a title. I don't know what it was. And I was wrestling him in uh, for Continental Wrestling, which was uh, run by uh, Robert and Ron Fuller, the Fuller brothers, in Alabama, Georgia. Again, they were a big promotion. They were part of the NWA in that. They had uh, Austin Idol there and Tom, Dr. Tom Pritchard and a lot of those guys. Anyways, so I'm wrestling Abdullah. Now, legit, I'm scared to death because I'd never met him before, never seen him before. And again, back in those days, you don't have your matches laid out, choreographed. You know, you got four minutes, he's going over with this hold. That's it. So that's where the training comes in. You go on the fly. Sometimes the first time you really see a guy is when you're in the ring with him. And that's how it was with Abdullah. Gary Hart came in and says, okay, here's the finish. You know, we got about this much time. I says, fine. So I'm taking off my jacket, you know, in ring introductions and that. And Abdullah runs across the ring with his belt and hits me. Hits me with a plate right in the head. Knocked me crazy. Hurt so bad. And from then on, he just kind of jogged me out, you know. Standing on my chest. Standing on my neck. I couldn't breathe. And, you know, he's next to the ropes with, a, with his arm on the rope. But he's not taking any of his weight leverage off it. He's just using it for his own balance. So I got 400 pounds laying on my chest mm -hmm. and my neck. So then sometime in the match, he got uh, a kendo stick, you know, one of them long yeah. stick things. Beat me like a dog, whipped me like it. Um, and then, of course, ended up with his flying elbow or flying lat, as we called it, because it was all so big and blubbery. Anyway, so we get back in the locker room and again, said nothing, went back to him. He was uh, sitting at a, like a little desk, with his feet up on the desk, smoking a cigar. And I said, you know, thank you for the match. She says, you okay? I said, well, yeah. I said, you about beat me to death with that kendo stick. He looks at me and he says, it's good for the business, son. Now, that was an old school mentality. You know, if you're going to do it, make it look real. If you can't take a punch or a stick or something like that, you shouldn't be in the business which is today's pretty boys, you know. If they get any TV time, a lot of them just think they're mega superstars and they get an attitude and everything else. Ah, get in there with an old guy like a Wahoo and take one of his chops for real, you know. Then you've done something. But uh, that really stuck with me. It's good for the business. Um, so it was a three-hour TV taping. I worked the third hour against uh, Hacksaw Butch Reed. Mm -hmm. And on TV, Butch Reed got me up in his bear hug, which was one of his finishes at the time. And you could see the welt marks across my back from two hours previous when he beat me with that stick. But again, I didn't complain. I smiled. I thanked him for the match. So all you young guys out there, stay humble. That's what gets you work. I was going to ask. That's all I got. How, how, was, how was the road schedule, obviously, with uh... – Crockett Promotions and obviously NWA and WCW. How how was how were you on the road and stuff? How was it for well, you, Randy? Yeah, at the time they did multiple TV tapings because they had about four or five shows at a time. They had Saturday night and then they had main event and then they had worldwide wrestling and they had all these different shows and all different tapings. A lot of them they taped um, at house shows at arenas. It wasn't all studio work, which was good because that kept us going. Uh, sometimes you do five or six matches in a week um, in the taping, 
but it was not like it is today where you're going, uh, you know, close to 300 uh, days a year. It wasn't like that. You might work, you know, four, five, six matches in a week, and then you'd, you'd be off for, you know, four or five days. Then you do it again. So it wasn't grueling. And again, oh. for a for a young single punk like me, you know, surrounded by his heroes, um, it was a purification. Oh, I got awesome. to places, see places that yeah. I've gone back to as an adult that I never would have seen if I wouldn't have had a paid vacation there. That's cool, man. That's cool. I've got a question here, right? And it's from Richie Sorrentino. I've got a... Richie Sorrentino, let me tell you, good times guaranteed. GTG, great in the merchandise, um, and he's great at production. You know, he's not just a promoter and agent, he is a producer. Love, love Richie. We've become really good pals. Yes, me too. Through the lockdown. Um, yeah, and he asks When Hulk Hogan arrived in WCW in 1994, were you a cameraman? For the unveiling parade, that was his question. <laughs> well, I wasn't a cameraman; I was a reporter. I was actually. <clears throat> long story short, is I broke my clavicle in a match against Rick Steiner in Savannah, which is kind of what got me out of it. So I had moved from now the Atlanta area back down to Florida. My parents lived there, and I loved it just to heal up and everything. So I said, now at this point, I'm getting to be eh, almost 40 years old. Where am I going to be again when I grow up now? You know, I can't, I really don't want to go back to this wrestling thing if I had the opportunity. Because the thing is, they love you when you're there. But once you're gone, man, you're gone. There's a there's hundred guys wanting to take your spot. So uh, I was lucky enough that um, WCW was now doing TV tapings. At, uh, at Disney, at, at studios, Hollywood studios at the time. So anytime they did TV in Florida, I was less than an hour away. I would go do TV. That kept me relevant. I bought a restaurant. It was called Randy Hogan's Cedar River Seafood. So I had to keep the Hogan gimmick going, you know. So now I have little five-by-seven promo pictures cut. And kids would come in, and I'd autograph a picture for them and tell them a little bit about this guy or a little bit about that. I was like a Ronald McDonald at the time. So kids, you know, mom and dad would say, well, what do you want to go to dinner, kids? Oh, let's go see Randy Hogan, you know. So it was good for business, good for the business, as Triple H says. <clears throat> so we, um, um, so I, I kept that going and, and kept that alive, and I had no idea where I'm going in this conversation now. Anyways, they, um, they, they were doing a, a big ticker tape parade for Hulk Hogan when he jumped to WCW in Disney. At the time, I was working part-time at a radio station. I had a little 30-second information, not a podcast, but a little part of the sports center, you know, now for the wrestling updates. And I'd give them some little inside stuff going on and stuff that maybe I got off a dirt sheet or whatever. So, so they said, well, you know, being a wrestling fan of your show, Hogan's doing this parade. Do you want to go? I said, well, sure. So I got a press pass, and I actually went as a reporter. And uh, again, a, a very important story to me. I have never in my life met Hulk Hogan. Now I had went through all this Randy Hogan stuff, you know, his brother, his cousin, whatever. 
Now, first of all, I never said I was his brother, his cousin, any relation whatsoever. I didn't even pick the Hogan gimmick. It was given to me. So, uh, so I went to this thing, and he was doing his thing, him and Jimmy Hart, up on the stage. And I was right in front of the stage. In fact, a, a, a friend of mine just sent me a clip of it where they were asking questions, and it shows me there with my notepad and everything. So anyways, we're there, and I look at, uh, up at him, and, and Hogan looked at me and just kind of nodded and winked, all like an acknowledgment. That's the closest I ever got to him. And he doesn't live an hour and a half from me here. I've been to his, he's got a couple of uh, gift shops, you know, here, yeah. down here, one in Orlando, one in Clearwater. Yeah. I've been to them. Uh, but that was, the, that was the only time. But I was a legit reporter. Wow. Uh, covering that, and it got picked up on tape. Um, I said I never met Hogan thing. The closest I got last March at the big event in New York City, I was at that convention, and my table was right across from Jimmy Hart. Again, scared to death. Jimmy Hart, an idol, Hulk's best friend in real life. So I said, excuse me, Jimmy. And I was all dressed in gimmick. I said, can I get a picture with you? He said, sure, brother. I said, thank you. So I got my picture taken. And, uh, and I said, you know, thank you very much, you know, because I didn't know. I was really a little bit nervous about how the gimmick would be taken. Because at that time I had the random in your shirt. Okay. I had the yellow and red with the red. And then I had the, the glasses on. I was doing a Hogan thing um, at the convention. And he says, no, man. He says, you know, he says, I talk to Terry oh, almost every day. He said, and he said, not your topic of conversation, but your name has, has come up. He's aware of you. He said, and we both appreciate everything you're doing. You know, I've never gotten in any, any controversy or any, any drug things or any, any bad things, you know. Um, I've always carried his name respectful. When he went to the NWA wrote, I tried turning heel for a while. Same thing, same time, just keeping it going. Actually, the... The Hogan gimmick is something that developed from Randy Franklin to Randy Hogan to all of a sudden being his brother, being his cousin, whatever else. But I wore my signature. I had turquoise boots, which the only other person that ever had that same color boot made by the same guy was Ric Flair. I had turquoise trunks, um, a sequin robe with turquoise lining. So I didn't do the, the, the red and yellow that they said. Only when I got out of wrestling, maybe the last, I don't know, four or five years, people all of a sudden, nostalgia, want this gimmick, want this Hogan thing. So I cracked out the yellow and the red and do it, you know. People love it. And again, showbiz, whatever they want, you know. Am I related to them? No. Am I Randy Hogan? Always have been. Always will be, brother. And I do the I do the promos. What you're gonna do and and uh, cut all that stuff in. And I just have so much fun with it. And so much fun with the fans. By the way, fans, someone in the UK. I want to come over there and meet you all firsthand. So spread the word over there, brothers. There's, I've, I've said this. I said to uh, when I had Barry Horowitz on Randy that there's there's a market. They, they do the conventions, but you guys there's 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 a gap. There's a gap in the market to get you guys over over here. You know. There's, there's space. There is, and, and I don't, and I think Barry, you know, who, who lives by me, and I, I talked to a friend of mine too. Um, we, 
I personally sell, you know, we, we all sell a little merchandise, T-shirts and keychains and pictures and all this on our websites. Um, I personally sell as much in the UK as I do in the States. I sell, I, I go to, to, to England, to Ireland, to Wales. I've got fans or, or, or customers at all these places that buy pictures, buy whatever else. I feel so guilty. Like, if somebody wants to buy a T-shirt, you know, just for me to send it over the cheapest, it's over $20 just in postage. Yeah. It's terrible. It's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel sorry for that. It would be nice to be able there and go to a convention and be able to sell our shirts or something at a regular yeah. thing and meet all those fans over there that only see us across the pond, you know? The um, the big one now, like, which is just solely wrestling, not a comic con, is um, for the love of wrestling. So... Fred Fred Ottman Fred Ottman's booked yes. on that. Uh, there's a lot lot of the old time guys uh, booked on that show. Uh, for the love of wrestling, they've done a really good job in Liverpool yep. doing that show. Obviously, it's been uh, delayed due to this. It was meant to happen in April, but all all being well, it'll be happening in October. That's like the big one in the UK now. So they need to get you guys over. I tell I tell the promoters and the, the organisers all the time. You need to get more guys on it. You know, there's room for everybody, I think. We'd love to. We want to get over so much. You know, we'd, we'd uh, I think, I think we'd do well now. And this has all just developed the last few years yeah. as far as us old uh, enhancement jobber type guys, the guys like me and George South and Barry Horowitz, you know, yeah. all of a sudden people remember who we are, you know, or their parents remember who we are. And uh, it's, it's, it's good for the ego, but more than that, it's it makes us feel like uh, like we were important to somebody in some aspect instead of just getting jobbed out and our brains be out on TV. So, so we appreciate every single one of them. Do you watch much of the current product? Do you get time to watch? Yes. Modern wrestling. Yes, I do. What, what's that? I was a fan at you? first. I'm a fan now. I have been a big time Mark fan my whole life to this very day. Okay, um, some things I I don't have access to on my TV. Like uh, once in a while, I've I've been able to get uh, NWA's Power Hour or whatever yeah. with Tim Storm yeah. and uh, Nick Mattis. A lot of these guys I worked when uh, Impact Wrestling was going strong with Dixie Carter and all them in Orlando. And then uh, I was still in the restaurant business. I did catering, and I used. To to cater the events, the TV tapings and that. Wow. So I saw a lot of them coming up, the Great Mavericks, you know, and Al Snow, and uh, now Bobby Lashley. They were all there. Um, Nick Artis. So I, I, I miss that product. They say it has more of an old school feel, which I would like. Um, but I follow SmackDown and I follow Raw, and I tune back and forth between AEW and NXT every week. So, so yeah, I, I follow it uh, follow it pretty good. See, like, when I get some guys on, Randy, um, guys that are currently wrestling, they, they, don't, they don't always watch the product. Like, I don't really watch much of it. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was cool. Which guys, which guys do you like watching in AEW who's standing out for you? Well, of course, I like the old guys who are still coming through, the Jerichos of the world, okay? And I like it because they bring a touch of the old school into the new. Um, there are guys going over, big-time guys that I'm really not a fan of, but for whatever the reason, they're going over. Um, 
I like when Jericho and Gold Dust, by the way, Gold Dust, Dustin Rhodes, I was his very first TV match. Was uh, him and Kendall Windham, Windham as the young Broncos. Nice story there. That's how I really got closer to know Dusty. Yeah. But anyways, um, I like when they when they bring it in. Um, I see more. How do I put this? It's hard to judge wrestling talent now as wrestlers. So much of it is um, character, um, personality, gymnastics. You know, the high-flying monkey spots, as we call them. That's so much of it that you don't see any wrestling. You don't see the, the uh, even like the Eddie Guerreros or Dean Malenko's or old-school Carl Gotchas or, or, uh, or guys. You know, I remember, again, drifting back to the real old days, you would have a guy that would maybe only use four or five holes the whole show, the whole match. And get over. They would get so much heat. You know, they'd start to work, say, on a leg, and they keep going back to that leg, back to that leg, and then finally at the end, they'll slap on a figure four or something, and it's the end. But they told a story. Okay, I'm going to beat the arm down. I'm going to beat the leg down. I'm going to beat. Now, nobody beats nothing. Everybody's got a finisher. Okay, everybody's doing moonsaults and crap, and everybody's kicking out of them. You know, there are no, no finishers. Back in the day, they had a sleeper hole. Wilbur Snyder had the abdominal stretch. Uh, the Sheik had his camel clutch, you know, which Iron Sheik also used. Um, they had certain holds, but when they locked that in, it was over. That was it. Now, you know, you got the the Undertaker doing a tombstone and guys kicking out of it. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense no. to me. No. So it, it's lost its storyline. Um, as they say, and it's true, if you watch a match now, a good match, that they say, try to pick out one or two memorable moments. You can't. There's so many good high-flying type movements that where's the story? What is the purpose in this move? Every move in the ring should have a purpose. You know, you're wearing down a, a body limb or you're wearing down a, a head or you're, you're, you're working on something. Nowadays, it's just a free-for-all. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, there's some kind of a finish that cannot be predicted at all. Um, if somebody were to kick out in the old days of a finisher, that person was going to be a world champion. Nobody kicked out of somebody's finish. Now, everybody kicks out of everybody's finish. So that's one of the old school approaches. That's what a lot of us old guys will complain about the same things. You know, what do we miss? Was it better back then? It was different back then. I can't say yeah. it was better. Everything progresses. Yeah. Everything changes. Everything improves. You know, it went from hardcore uh, barrel-chested wrestling to uh, to cartoon characters, you know, like the, the Hogan's cartoon shows and everything else. And now it got into everybody's a pretty boy. Everybody's muscled up. Very few Kevin Owens out there, you know. But everybody's muscled up. Everybody looks the same. Um, now guys are uh, like this Orange Cassidy, okay. Mm -hmm. Orange Cassidy, I don't quite understand the gimmick of his hands in his pockets in there mm -hmm. all the time. But anyways, whatever it is, somebody's buying it. But these guys are 180, 190 yeah. pounds. They wouldn't even think of training us in the old days unless we weighed at least 200 and then strongly encouraged us to do whatever necessary to get your weight even up. Because when you're in a restaurant, you're in a bar, when you're sitting next to somebody, you don't want to look like the guy next door. You want to look like a wrestler. So 
uh, that's the difference. Now, you know, you can be sitting next to a, a Finn Balor, you know, and he just looks like a, a nice young kid uh, eating yeah. a hamburger and a Coke. I get, I get you, man. I tell you, I do like in AEW. Obviously, they've pushed him. They've pushed him since he's come over from Ring of Honor. Adam, Adam Hangman Page. Oh yes. On, on the yes, the, he's a uh, boy gimmick. He is blue chipper. That boy, blue chipper. I don't like him. I don't like him being wasted in tag matches. That's yeah. Historically, that has been the doom of people. Very few people have come up from a stable or a tag team and really made it to the top top mm-hmm. as a single. Uh, Braun Strowman is, is you know, oh. he got away from Bray Wyatt yeah. and, and that. Now he's cool. kind of into his own yeah. as uh, Luke Harper or whatever he's going by now and, mm-hmm. and uh, a, a couple of those guys. But for the most part, once they're out, uh, they're never made it. Uh, just those couple of uh, Shawn Michaels, you know, like I said, I, I trained with uh, Marty Jannetty and uh, uh, he was one of the few that, uh, again, the promoter likes you. They're going to promote you. They're going to give you a, a raise. You know, the boss likes you kiss up to him because that's how you get ahead. So Sean went from making $25 a match when I knew him. Now to making, I don't know, millions a year. Yeah, man. What are your tips, Randy, for young guys getting into the business? We've got a lot of lads training, even locally. There's a lot of schools in the North Wales coast. A lot of good talent. A lot of good young lads coming through. What are Randy Hogan's tips for the youth the guys coming through? First of all, learn how to wrestle. Who cares if you can do moonsaults and come off the top rope and do a hundred different monkey spots? Learn how to wrestle, how to mat wrestle. Um, because in a, in a match, in most cases, something changes, something goes wrong. Um, the guys nowadays will choreograph a lot of their matches. Well, what happens if somebody forgets a spot? You got to know how to take over and how to keep the match going. You've got to learn how to work, as they call it. That's that's where work, work doesn't mean just know how to wrestle. Work is how to work, how to work the crowd. You know how to make them believe in something that's not real. Um, learn that. Learn the psychology of a match from the start to the finish. Tell a story. Those are things that a lot of today's instructors don't teach. Because the young kids all want to be stars, and they all want to do all the fancy stuff. Now, that's selling now, but I, I believe in the long run, professional wrestling has got to somehow get back to wrestling and away from gymnastics. So that would be my advice. Second of all, when you do get matches, be appreciative. Don't whine, don't complain, don't bitch about nothing, okay? That's how you work steady. That's how promoters like you and they like to work with you. And your opponents like to work with you. That's how you work steady. And everybody gets in this because they think it's fun and they think it's stardom, um, whatever else. Bottom line is, you're doing it, you want to make money. You spent money to learn, so now get a return on your investment. And to do it, you got to do it the right way. Um, Get along with your boss. Get along with your peers. Stay humble. You know, if if a fan reaches out to you, for whatever the reason, hi, can I get an autograph? Whatever, absolutely. Appreciate everybody that's giving you the opportunity to live the dream that you're trying to live. Um, that's the best advice I can get them. Otherwise, it's up to yourself, you know. Yeah. Stay big, stay believable, both in yeah. character 
you know, don't be a bad heel in the ring and then get outside the ring and uh, be kissing babies and signing autographs. In the old days, get away from me, kid. You know, yeah. unfortunately, you know, for that little kid who went away crying to his mommy, you know, that was very traumatic. But that's the character. That's what kept it believable. Yeah. That's what made wrestling wrestling. Good guys versus bad guys. Now, that little kid's going to grow up, and that guy's still going to be wrestling, or his son's going to be wrestling, okay, one day, and he's going to say, you know, I remember one. I hope he gets his ass beat. So he's going to buy a ticket just to see that happen to that bad guy. So it, it, it carries over the influences that you really have. Live, live the gimmick, Randy. Live the gimmick, baby. Just like this, 8 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Whoa! <laughs> uh, Randy. Can you plug your social media and also where the fans, listeners, viewers can get the merchandise from? You know, I'm the easiest guy in the world. Everything I have is on Facebook. You can find me under Randy Mule, M-U-E-H-L, or Randy Hogan, either one. It comes up. It's got all my merchandise on there. Um, watch for conventions, and you, we don't know what's going to happen with them. I know you have one over there. But for your listeners over here, you know, we've got a lot of them, mostly in the Northeast, Connecticut, New York. Um, I'm tentatively booked on a few of those, so just keep keep watching. Again, all this stuff comes on Facebook. So rather than have a million different places to find me and uh, have them all garbled together, one little place. It's my personal stuff. You'll see pictures of me and my wife and my dog even, you know. You'll see some old wrestling pictures. You'll see my merchandise. You'll see specials that I have going on. Um, uh, just like uh, Barry does the same thing, you know. Barry has a site. Uh, uh, Richie, as you said, at uh, Good Time here in GTG, he's got the same thing, you know. Um, I'm on uh, Celeb VM, you know, if you want a, a video message, you know, happy birthday or something to the kid or whatever else, we do those. So I'm easy to find. Facebook's the answer. My guest today for Stu's Wrestling Podcast. All the way from the US of A, it's Mr. Randy Hogan. Thank you very much for coming on today. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Stewie. Thank you. Congratulations again. And what you're going to do, brother, when Randall Mania comes to a town by you? A big thank you to Stephen Ash and Ed Dowling for producing the track. It's Stu's Wrestling Podcast, The Theme. So thank you very much for that, lads. Much appreciated. Love it fits really well so cheers thanks to you big thank you to Mike Angus for the show intro as always superb superb Chris Dutton thank you very much for editing once again appreciate buddy and also to Lee who does my website Lee puts the stuff up on the website without you guys I'd be screwed so once again as always appreciate everything you do for me and the time you spend doing the things you do for me means a lot guys Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.